Friends, I'll invite you to turn in the blue Bibles there found in the pew, unless you brought your own, uh, to Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> We're nearing the end of our study. Uh, next couple weeks, we'll wrap up. Uh, page 1820. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, we were looking at the relationship between husbands and wives. Last week, parents and children. Today, something that is going to be strange to our ears, masters and slaves. So this one's interesting for us to study. And so let's let's pray. Father, guide us. As we come to your word, it many times seems very strange to us. We are separated by, by cultures and by years. And, and this would be a, another passage that seems odd to our ears. And so, Lord, a, we ask that you would help us to understand that, that your spirit might work through the words we read. We do believe your word is eternal. And so speak a message to us today uh, from these uh, holy words. And so guide us, we pray, uh, in the power and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 6, beginning verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours, is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Amen. So this is one of those tricky Bible passages, right? Uh, We read this on the face of it. You could say there's nothing for us uh, in this passage. We are not slaves. We do not own slaves. Slavery ended a long time ago uh, here in the United States, and so there would be a temptation to close the book, move on, and let's, let's just get on with the service. Um, over the years, I've heard this passage talked about quite a bit, N- not as much studied as talked about or wrestled with. Um, often we will hear this in an effort to discredit the Bible or particularly the Apostle Paul. The concern that is raised is that Paul doesn't come out here and condemn slavery outright. He doesn't call for the abolition of uh, slavery. In recent years in particular, uh, this passage is cited in criticism of white Christianity here in our own country. How white American slaveholders, many of whom professed faith in Jesus Christ, would point to this passage, use this passage in support of their peculiar institution, as it was known. 
Sadly, some of our own forefathers and mothers at Greenwich may well have done this. We know that there were some of our forebears who did own slaves. In a similar fashion to the message from two weeks ago, speaking how people misuse the passage about wives submitting to their husbands, how, how men will misuse that passage, and we reject any mistreatment of women trying to appeal to the Scripture. In the same way, let me state with pastoral sensitivity and, and clarity, that we emphatically reject the idea that this passage in any way teaches the superiority of one race over another, one skin color over another, one people over another. That slavery or human trafficking, as we speak of it today, that is owning another person is in any way condoned by God. Anyone who appeals to the scripture to try to make a case for that institution, they are wrong. We reject that completely. We stand with Scripture in affirming the dignity of all people everywhere, all races, all tribes, all people, all nations, all languages. Every human being bears the image of our glorious Creator. Jesus Christ, when He offered His life on the cross, died for men and women, boys and girls from every race and tribe, language, tongue, people. So, we wrestle with this passage. What do we make of it? What, what, what is going on here? What, what, why doesn't Paul come out and condemn slavery? Those who object to Paul's teaching here don't recognize that they are imposing a 21st century set of lenses upon the ancient world. When we read the scriptures, we are shaped by our American experience, our American culture, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, uh, uh, contemporary uh, conversations around race and racial reconciliation. We are shaped by our American experience and history of chattel slavery, the Civil War, racial issues, civil rights. All of this informs us as we come to this and so as we hear the word slave and master, certain things come to mind. But the historical cultural context of this letter is not the context of the American historical experience. The word slave is doulos. In the Roman Empire, scholars estimate that up to one-third of the empire were doulos or douloi. They were household servants, they were farmhands, they worked in the mines, they, they belonged to what we would call the professions of teachers and doctors and accountants and the like. Slavery in the Roman Empire is not what slavery was in the American experience. It was the basis for labor and the structure and organization, economic organization for that society. Slavery wasn't the same kind of problem in the ancient world uh, the way we think of it as a problem in our own society. There was no abolition movement 
among the slaves or even broader society. It was not uncommon for one to sell themselves into slavery, to be a doulos, a servant of another, to gain a measure of security and even opportunity for advancement. It is not the same. I made a choice this week. I could go further into the historical reality of that or I could pivot and try to wrestle with some observations and hopefully some pastoral considerations. We can read the history another time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 that we read some weeks ago, Paul calls for a, a, a submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ as an expression of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, of being under the influence of God's Spirit. There is a pattern of mutual submission out of a shared reverence for Jesus Christ. And so that plays out then as he speaks to the Christian household there in Ephesus and the surrounding environs. It plays out in the relationship between husbands and wives, parents and children, and then this relationship of masters and slaves. Instructions are given to both parties in each of these settings. Wives and husbands have responsibilities. Parents and children have responsibilities. And then the masters and the slaves have responsibilities. Paul is always tying it back to the relationship with Christ. Hmm. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way, your your servants in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours, you have a master also. You are a servant of Christ. And so what we tend to miss is that Paul is honoring and dignifying this group of people known as the servants or the slaves, addressing them directly. The tendency is to think of them as second-class citizens, and Paul honors them. He speaks directly to them, grants a dignity, grants a respect that may not have always been understood, that the Ephesians who were hearing these words would hear these as radical words in the same way to honor wives, lay down your life for your wives. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, so masters, you are to honor and Respect and do not threaten your slaves or servants. Hmm. The radical thing that Paul is doing here, he's relativizing the social status between slave and master. Reminding that there is a shared Lord, there is a shared master for both. Effectively, he is speaking to the masters, the owners, and saying, you are slaves and in so doing he levels the ground (laughs) he levels the ground at the foot of the cross because it is true Uh, in galatians uh, chapter 3 verse 28 paul speaks the same kind of reality in christ there is neither jew nor gentile there is neither male nor female there is neither slave nor free those socio-demographic, um, economic 
race, class, gender, those, those um, dividing walls that we humans erect are eliminated in Jesus Christ. And that's radical. So rather than reading the passage, so let's not be grumpy at Paul, what he's doing is he's working in a context, he's working in a particular context. It is true that Paul never, not here or anywhere else, calls for the abolition of this particular form of societal organization, the abolition of slavery, but he effectively is undermining it here. By calling masters to treat their servants, their slaves with respect as, as shared sisters and brothers in Christ, what he is doing, he is reorienting the relationship. Husbands and wives, husbands, you are to lay down your life to serve your wives. Parents, you are to bring your children up. You are to serve and nurture them. Masters, you are to provide for and care for those who are in your sphere of responsibility as servants. He is breaking down the walls of division between race and, and class and age. He's pointing back to the cross. It's been so long ago with this would have been, oh golly, uh, how many months ago that we read about the cross of Jesus Christ breaking down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile in, in chapter 2. God is making a new society, reconciling Jew and Gentile alike, reconciling men and women, <laughs> parents and children, masters and slaves. He is forming a new society. And so what Paul is doing here, he's effectively undermining the institution. He's written earlier in chapter 3 about the immeasurably great power that is at work within each Christian. The gospel, the Holy Spirit, this power of Jesus Christ that comes in and begins to transform us over time. In effect, what Paul is doing is saying the gospel, I'm going to mix some metaphors here, but the gospel is like a Trojan horse. You remember the story. The people of Troy took in uh, the Greek horse into their city as a trophy of victory, but at night the soldiers crept out, opened the gates from within, and conquered the city. So the gospel comes in and, and transforms us from the inside out. We begin to look at other people differently. It reorients the way that we relate to other people. As we love God, we are taught to love our neighbor as well. So that when we receive Jesus Christ, we welcome a power into our lives. Maybe sometimes not even fully understanding what that power is seeking to do. <laughs> a power that works inside us and transforms us. Our character, our attitudes, our actions, the way we look at life, the way we look at others. The gospel changes us from the inside out so that we are never the same. I think there are two ways this passage can speak to us. <clears throat> because we can read it and say, well, that's great, but we don't have that same institution today. <clears throat> uh, the, the first would be 
to, to pull it into the context of our work relationships. That is the, the setting here. We have different relationships in the workplace. Employer, employee, self-employed, client. You've got supervisors and volunteers. I would even extend this teachers and students, coaches and players. You have situations where you have uh, someone in charge and then someone who is um, engaging in activity under the supervision or direction of that person in charge. You have authority and those under authority. God cares how we act and who we are all the time, not just church time, not just, you know, Sunday morning at, at uh, 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. When we're at work or in a community organization or the classroom or the ball field, or I guess in the pandemic, a lot of us working, you know, from home, nothing is escaping the, 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 the eye of God, <laughs> We are called to be Christians at all times. To love God and love our neighbor at all times. And so this passage is urging all of us who are in that subordinate role of workers, of students, of players, of volunteers, of servants of some community or some organization, when we are at work, we are to do that work as serving the Lord, not men. We are to give our best effort all the time, not just when the boss, when the teacher, when the coach, uh, when the supervisor is looking. We are to serve wholeheartedly. This service that we render is part of our service to God. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so part of our service, God has given us uh, our bodies to be able to serve. We have read this in Ephesians 2. God prepared good works in advance for us to do. And so let us work with sincerity of heart. And so if you have a task, be about that task. If you've, you've taken a pledge to... Uh, to, to, to serve some community, some organization, then serve that community organization with sincerity of heart. If you are students, if you are a volunteer, engage yourself fully. You honor God when you honor the efforts of that community, whatever it may be. But the passage also speaks to those who have supervisory responsibility, managerial responsibility, leadership responsibility. Again, some of us find ourselves in both places. Teachers, you have those over you, but then you have those under you as well. But we who have responsibility for other people to guide and to direct their work, we are called to honor those in our sphere of influence, to honor those under you. And I don't use that word under lightly. Honor those who are the servants in that context. Do not threaten, do not bully, give clear direction, offer gentle accountability, knowing that you too have a boss, shall we say, a supervisor. <laughs> 
one in heaven to whom you are accountable. One other way I think this may apply in our lives today, maybe it's broader, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but the issue of our social hierarchy, status and class, and, and frankly, in light of this, I think the reality of race in our society. It starts early in life. <clears throat> Kids quickly find out that there is a pecking order, that there is some kind of social food chain, and, and it, it happens in schools, it happens on the playground, it happens in the lunchroom, right? And so that's usually where we encounter it. Somewhere along the way, children learn that there may be something more important than their studies at work in their social setting. Who's in? Who's cool? Who's popular? Who's hot? Who's not? To be in, to be cool, to be accepted is everything. And, and then once in that in-group, there is a tendency to look at others, perhaps look down on them. But it's not kids just experiences, right? Moms and dads, the rest of us, th this is our society. There's social strata, there's social structure. It, it, it runs uh, along economic lines, wealth, it longs along, runs along racial lines, it, it, it runs uh, in, in many different directions in our society. But we notice others. We, we notice uh, the, the houses they live in, the cars they drive, the clothes they wear, the haves and the haves-nots. And there is a tendency in the human family to look down on those who are not part of our community. And I think what this passage is reminding us, it, in, in God's new society, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. As I said at the outset, every human being bears the glorious image of, of God. And so we, we love God by loving our neighbor. And we don't deny that there are different responsibilities. We don't deny that, that we tumble into certain social groups. We recognize this. This is a fact of life. But I believe what Paul's teaching here is masters and slaves, as, as it was in the Roman context, that they are fellow brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. No one is nearer and dearer to God than another. And before every, any other relationship or marker of status or um, influence that may distinguish and identify as some that we may pursue, we may pursue these things, that we are Christians, fellow Christians, and we have a Lord and, and Master in heaven who did not feel that it was below him to stoop and serve. What we will celebrate in a couple weeks uh, in our Holy Week on Maundy Thursday, that was the night in which Jesus went to the upper room, gathered at table with his uh, fellow uh, friends, his disciples, and he took off his outer garment and he knelt down and he took the base and he took the towel and he washed their feet. He took the role of a slave, a servant. 
And he says, is, I've set you an example that you should, should follow me. That you are called now. If you're to be my follower, then you stoop and serve others. And then he demonstrated that a, a, a day later as he went to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That he stretched out his hands and he stretched out his arms and he laid down his life. So if we are to be his followers, then we too will learn to see all people, regardless of station and status, regardless of skin color and wealth, we will see all people as those whom we have been called to love and to honor and to serve. Uh, I think there's a video. I'm looking at Mark to make sure it's queued up. We have sung this song before. It's, it's called A Worker's Prayer. And I think it's a sweet, uh, tender expression of as we prepare to go out from here and return to our places of work and service and study and play, that this would be a prayer that we could offer. Mark? Harvest of life is grown. 
such a prayer reality in our lives as each of us prepares to return to our homes and prepare ourselves for another week of, of study, of service, of work, of labor, of supervision, of honoring. Lord, help us. Help us to see all people as those whom you have brought close to us to serve and to love and to honor and to bless and we pray against the forces in our world and even the forces within us that would, would seek to, to oppress and, and reinforce structures and systems of injustice. Lord, help us to be part of the solution of bringing justice and peace to this world. May we live as members of that new society joined together through Jesus Christ. Hear our prayer as we make it in his name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's